0: Uh, So we've been in prayer for our time together today, and we're going to be back in Romans 11. We're going to pick up with the second verse there. We'll be in verse 34 primarily, but last week we looked at the depth of God and the richness of the wisdom and knowledge of God, right? Remember that word O? And we talked about how that word was O of exuberance and excitement of satisfaction and delight. Did anybody give out an O this week that was anything short of that? I thought of you guys on Monday. I was headed to, uh, to teach, going down Pontoon Road, and all of a sudden the red lights start flashing and the arms start falling down, and, and exactly what I did was, oh, and I just started smiling. I was like, this is exactly what we just talked about yesterday, right? So you can dwell on the five minutes it's going to take you to sit here and wait on this train Or you can think about the richness of God and how his well is never ending and how he always satisfies, right? We just sang about it. Uh, So I tried to take time there and really focus on the Lord. And uh, just little things like that can be real special moments throughout your week. And God used that, at least for me, as a reminder. Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. Uh, So in verse 34 is where we'll pick up today, all right? But I want to begin with a question And you guys help me out. Have you ever used the phrase, I know better, or I knew better, right? Usually when we use that phrase, uh, it's because of something that we either said that we feel like we shouldn't have said, or we've done something that we should not have done. And so maybe you're having a conversation with somebody, and it's getting a little heated. It's not going the way that you had planned, and so they say something to you, and you've got that little voice in your head, right? You hear that voice in your head that said, don't say that. Just don't, just keep it in. Don't let that out. And before you know it, it's already out of your mouth. And so we're going back and forth and just, it's ugly. It's not pretty at all. Well, when the dust settles, what do we usually say? I knew better than that. You know, I knew better than to let my mouth get in gear like that. Um, Then we usually follow it up with that word, but. Right? And oftentimes that little word, but, cancels out everything before. I knew better, but... And so sometimes it happens when we react. Uh, and it's the same way when we do some things. You know, sometimes you'll feel like I shouldn't do this, okay? I'm, again, I may want to react to something, and I know I shouldn't do it, but before you know it, all right, what's done is done. And so here again, when the dust settles, you're like, oh, I knew better, right? I knew better than to do that. So a lot of times when we use the phrase, I knew better, and I'm not going to ask you to share your know better stories, all right? We've all got many of those. Um, but a lot of times when we think of I knew better, we think of it in those ways, like I should have said something or not said or should have done, not done something. Another way to look at this, though, is, is a bigger picture, like I know better, as though I'm the end all. I know better. How to live my life. I know better how to make right choices for me. I know better how to use the resources that I have my time, my money, uh, my experiences, my ability. I know better how to use the gifts that I have. And we could go on and on here. Really, what we're saying is we wouldn't come out and say it this way, but we're saying we know better than God. Now, how often do you shake your fist at heaven? How often do you point up and say, I told you I knew better than you did? Now, we don't do that in those ways. But when I don't consider God, when I have money in my hands, when I don't ask him, how do you want me to use this? You know what I'm saying? I know better. The Father's the giver of every good gift. He's given us a good gift, given me a good gift. And when I don't consider him or ask him what I'm thinking is, I can figure this out on my own. I know better than God what to do with what he's put in my hands, right? And so doing, we take a posture against God that makes us look as though we do know better. Well, that sounds like a pretty foolish way of thinking, right? Hopefully it does. And we'll see today that that is a foolish way of thinking, and we'll see what our response should be in light of someone who has all knowledge, who needs no counsel, all right? Devotion is what we'll be after today. Uh, So Romans 11, we're going to read all uh, four verses here again, but we'll focus primarily on verse 34 today, all right? So here you've got Paul once again, and he's writing about some of these wonderful truths about God. So when you think of Romans 8, not Romans 8, Romans in particular, are there any truths of Romans that stand out to you like, oh, that's a good one? Is there something in Romans? I mean, when you think of the book of Romans, what do you initially think about? The Romans Road, salvation, all right? So we talk about salvation and how we're all sinners, but God gave the gift of his son so that those who believe in him will have eternal life, all right? God loved those when those who he created didn't love them, love him in return. God's provided the way for forgiveness, salvation, okay? Anything else there? We read Romans 8 this morning. That's one that always stands out to me. Verse 1 says, there's now therefore no condemnation. Right? So you're no longer condemned. Uh, and that's, that, I don't know why, but that just resonates with me. You're no longer condemned. Quit condemning yourself. Right? Quit reminding yourself of what you once were and think about how God is defining you now. You're no longer condemned. That stuff doesn't own you. So you've got all sorts of wonderful truths in here. We become the children of God. The Spirit of God comes to dwell within those who believe. How there is grace and mercy for all and how there is this response of faith. That's, just, that's the only thing necessary to lay hold of Jesus Christ and everything that he has purchased for us. So as Paul writes this out, again, his heart is just rejoicing. And so before he gets to chapter 12 or to that part of his letter, he puts in this little doxology. Just this little chorus of praise to God for all these wonderful things that God was just birthing through him, through his spirit as he's writing. And so he writes and says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him, And through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so today we're going to look at verse 34. Next week, 35, we'll finish here January 28th uh, as we consider this benediction for the year. And as this was growing sweet in Paul, my prayer for me and my prayer for us together is that this would be something that would grow sweet in you as well. As you think about all the things that God has done for you, that your heart would consistently resound with the oh, oh the depths, oh the riches, just a complete dependency, a confidence, a trust in his provision, understanding that everything ultimately is for his glory. And so a few things that we'll highlight today as we talk about what we know of the incomparable God. God. The incomparable God, all right? So you can follow on your bulletin day, today if you'd like. You don't have to at all. Um, but three things we will highlight, all right? The first is this. We know what we know are the things that God has chosen to reveal about himself. We know of God and we know of ourselves in God the things that God has chosen to reveal. And when it comes to knowing him, the things that he has chosen to reveal about himself. So initially this text tells us There is a God and this God has all knowledge and he's the only one who has all knowledge and we'll hit that in just a minute. Everybody else only knows what has been revealed. Beyond that we don't have the ability to understand or know anything else. And so what that means is there's a complete sufficiency within the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, everything that's necessary is found there. There's no other counsel needed Uh, So we've got some meetings coming up, and we'll sit around some tables, and we will kind of bounce ideas off one another sometimes. What do you think about this? What do you think this will cost? We'll say, hey, let's put a committee of people together, and maybe they can look a little bit further into that and bring some information back to us and help us make a better decision, right? Like sometimes we think having more people around the table makes for better decisions, more wisdom. Well, the round table of heaven has three seats, and they're forever occupied. Right? They will never be unoccupied. Father, Son, Holy Spirit sit there. They are the counsel within themselves, and everything that's ever needed to be known, or everything that can be known, is found there. And for you and I, this is such a foreign concept. Everything that you and I know is because of somebody else. Who taught you to tie your shoes? Did you do that yourself? Who taught you how to eat? Who helped you learn how to walk? Right, who taught you your letters and your numbers? How to add them and then subtract them? How to put them together to make words? And then how to read those words? Who taught you how to write your name? Who taught you how to comprehend? Right, we could work our way all the way up through school age, right? Everything in our life, we've been dependent on somebody else to teach us, and still yet we read after other people who may be a little bit further up the road in us in our profession or as people of faith, and we learn from them, right? So we are completely dependent. We need others, and that's how God's built us, to be dependent on others to help us. You don't find that in the counsel of God, and even to this day, it still continues People that own businesses, CEOs of businesses, they may make some, some decisions by themselves, but typically they surround themselves with people, advisors, who can help them make good decisions. Presidents do it, right? When something big's going on that's outside his or her ability to make a decision, they bring in councils or boards or advisors or administrators to help them make good decisions. Pastors do it. Cities do it. All right, we have these boards that help govern and lead our cities. World leaders do it. We do this all the time, asking others for counsel or for help. All right, when it comes to God, you and I add nothing, add nothing to the conversation. You've seen the commercial for BASF? Yeah, that's, we, don't, we don't make the things you buy. We make the things you buy better. You heard that? So there's a commercial, and that's been around for a long time, lots of different ways. When it comes to God, right, we don't make anything with God better. It's not that God started it, he created it, kind of got us some stuff to work with, and now humans have really improved it, right? We add nothing to the conversation. He doesn't need our counsel because he has all knowledge. Now, the Text gave this information of God in the form of a question. But that doesn't mean there's any question to the knowledge of God. So let's read it again. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Here's our question. Or who has been his counselor? What's the answer? No one. All right? So that's what's implied here. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? The implication is there's no one. No one has more knowledge. No one needs to bring him any counsel. Within himself there is a fullness. Now, this also tells us you and I cannot fully know the intentions of God. I cannot fully know the heart of God. Right? I cannot fully know the mind of God. And if anybody stands up before you and says, let me tell you exactly who God is, just walk away. Because no one on this planet will ever fully know God. He's only revealed what he's wanted us to know of him. Right? There are men and there are women who write books and stand up in front of people and say, this is who God is, this is exactly his heart, and this is how it works. Run. We're learning, all right, and we're growing, but we'll never fully be able to disclose the full counsel of that round table of heaven. That's only for him. So the answer to our question is no one. No one has that ability. Now Paul's going to write to the church, and he's going to help us understand this in another letter. So let's look at that here. Colossians chapter 1, he says... I've become its servant. This is talking about the church. Paul says, Paul, I have become its church servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Dealing here with salvation, the mystery of Christ. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so there was a time on this planet not too long ago when people walking the planet didn't have access to the information that you and I have today. They didn't know that the sacrificial system was going to end in Jesus Christ. They They didn't understand how that all worked. And so they had a limited amount of information and they were acting in faith on what God had revealed to them at that point. Now when Jesus comes, Paul says, what was hidden, the mystery is now being disclosed. It's being revealed. So further revelation came as God took on flesh. And in so doing, we gained a better understanding of who God is. But that's still yet to leave us short. We don't fully know God, nor can we fully understand him. We'll only know what he has chosen to reveal. Okay? And so in this, we see only God knows everything. Our job is to trust in the everything that the God knows. All right, the thing that God has chosen to reveal about himself initially is what we know. This is a progression today. Number two, we know the things of God because of his indwelling spirit. The things that we know of God that resonate in our heart are not because somebody paints you a pretty picture, stirs your heart, manipulates your emotions, and gets you to think a certain way about God. Anything that is deep-seated in you that brings you peace or hope or courage or confidence is spirit-given. I cannot give you courage. I can tell you over and over and over again, don't be afraid. But until that is planted within you, You're going to be afraid, and so am I. So this is the work of God, the work of the indwelling spirit. So when it comes to scripture, anybody can learn names. People that don't believe in God can tell you names in the Bible. They can tell you dates. They can give you information. The difference between that transforming a person and not is the indwelling spirit. And so some people look at it, and they just discredit it as foolishness. Others look at it and say, this is my life. And this speaks to me. This encourages me. What's the difference? Is it because we're more sincere and they're not? No. It's the indwelling spirit that takes truth and illuminates it or brings it to life in the life of a person. It's the spirit's job to bring understanding. Okay? Teachers have a role to play. God's gifted people to do all sorts of things. One of the things he said I'm going to give people to do is teach. However, teachers don't change people, spiritually speaking, here. Teachers share what's been entrusted to them, and then it's the Spirit that brings understanding. And so let's look at this then from another text of Paul's. This will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this connects with our, our Romans 11 passage as well. He says, These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. you see any connection? What was Paul saying in Romans 11? Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. Here he says it's the Spirit of God that searches those deep things that's going to help bring light to those who believe. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we've received is not the Spirit of the world. We've received the Spirit who's from God so that we may what? Understand what God has freely given us. So when something sticks, when something stays and transforms you or transforms me, that's not, hey, kudos to a teacher. That's the Spirit. That's the indwelling Spirit that's taking truth and bringing truth. Understanding, that's his job. And so because of that, we get understanding. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us how? By the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spiritual taught words, or Spirit taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They can't. They consider them foolishness, and they cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. You can get information, but for it to be transformational, there has to be an indwelling spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgment about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. Right? Romans 11. Who can bring counsel? But we have the mind of Christ. That is, we have the spirit of God living in us that helps us see things, understand things, the way Christ does. And so we have this at work within us, those who believe the Spirit of God. And his role is to help us understand what it is that's being taught. Or or in this context, it's that God is all-knowing and that he does not need any counsel from us. One of the Spirit's roles here then is to help us identify what's true, be changed by it, and to withstand against things that are false and reject them, right? Walk away from them, oppose them in a way that's respectful, and gentle, but at the same time is accurate, It's firm. And so he's writing to us again, right? Here we're talking about God has revealed only what we can know of him. And outside of his revelation, there's nothing else we can say of him. His revelation is not full in that it reveals him fully, but he's revealed what we need to know. Here we're also saying that the things of God that we are able to understand, we do so because of his indwelling spirit. Man, that brings me courage. Uh, That brings me encouragement. You ever feel like you're distant from God or there's not a sense of God's presence in your life? All right, just go to his word and see if there's power there, if it resonates within you. If it does, why does it do so? Because you're being a softy one day, your emotions are kind of being stirred? No. It says these things don't happen apart from the spirit of God it's foolishness where there's no spirit where there's a spirit then there will come understanding and it'll bring nourishment and hope and courage all sorts of wonderful things through the teacher by the way this was the plan of god right john 14:26 tells us jesus says i'm going away and it's good for me to go away why because the advocate's going to come the comforter's going to come the counselor's going to come and he will teach you how much all things. He'll teach you all things. So the indwelling spirit helps us understand the fullness of the incomparable God. And then third and last here this morning, we can know or we know that we can entrust our lives to a God who knows all. Right? We know that we can entrust our lives. I'm thinking of the word confide. Sometimes we think of that word confide as I'm just going to share a secret with somebody. Somebody. But it also means to place my life in the responsibility of or care of another. I've confided myself in someone else. And so here, to the uh, incomparable God, we can entrust our lives, confide ourselves into him who knows all. So here, this is where there's an intersection between what is true and how I live. Do you think what is true should bear any weight on how you live? This is where we get back to our phrase, I knew better. Sometimes we have the right information, I just don't live in light of that right information. Where truth intersects with my life being entrusted there, now we find ourselves valuing, as we should, the incomparable God. And so if God is all-knowing, for me to trust myself is just what? What? Trust yourself, don't trust God. What's that sound like? That's foolishness, right? If God's all-knowing, why would I trust myself, somebody that's not all-knowing? If God knows you and I better than we know ourselves, why would we trust ourselves to determine things for our life rather than to trust our God? It's pretty foolish. You know, if as we sang today, if God knows our name, if we are fully known by God then we should be able to say we fully trust him. This is where, again, the truth that we know. God is all-knowing. No one brings knowledge to him. No one brings counsel to him. If that's true, where my life intersects there, there should be faith. There should be trust. I should live out this truth. And so even when I don't understand, I trust knowing that God understands You ever have something happen in your life, you go, man, this just doesn't make sense. This just doesn't add up. This is dumb. Maybe somebody's made a poor decision and it's just affected you and you're thinking, this is wrong. Does God have full knowledge? Did he just take a lunch break? Don't misunderstand me. We can mess things up. People, that is. But it never messes up the knowledge of God or the counsel of God or the plan of God. And so I can rest in or trust in this all knowing God. Even when I don't understand why this is happening, I can trust in someone who knows why things have happened as they have. So if God truly knows everything, I don't need other counsel, or I don't have to try to counsel myself, rather. I can trust in him. So as I pray, how should I pray? sometimes we pray as though we're the fourth chair around that round table of heaven, right? Hey, God, if you're listening, let me give you just a little advice. If I were you, this is how I would work. In my situation, if this is how it pans out, that would be the best thing, right? And so we pray. I pray sometimes to God like he's sitting there just with a pen and paper like, please tell me what I need to be doing today because I don't know what to do. As though I'm bringing counsel or advice to God. You know, Jesus is kind of like that in the garden. And so he's taught us it's okay to start there. We just can't end there. If there's another way to bring about the salvation of people, let's talk. But, if not, right, not my will but yours be done. That's the main thing. So nothing wrong with... With praying a prayer, God, if this would work out this way, oh, I'd love you more than I ever have. I'd praise you more than I ever have. I'd just be so excited. I think it's so right if it worked out this way. But if it doesn't, I'll praise you more than I ever have. I'll love you more than I ever have. And I'll trust your ways more than I ever have. Right? Where life intersects with truth, it takes faith sometimes when we don't understand why things don't work out as we have prayed. You know, if God truly doesn't need any other counsel than himself, then I can entrust my struggle to him. I can entrust my suffering to him. I can entrust my broken heart to him. I can entrust, you put it, you fill in the blank, any of my fears, I can entrust that to him if he knows better. Because he knows exactly what is going on in my life. So even if I can't see beyond the moment, my God can. And even if I can't see how this, in my mind, bad, works out seemingly for good, my God can. And so I can entrust my life to him. Because he's the God who knows all. I've walked with him up to this point. I've trusted him up to this point. He's not brought me to this place To cause me to cower, to be trampled by my fear, to be discouraged, to be battled to the point where I just throw up my hands and say, I quit, I'm beat. I'll never win this. No, we can keep trusting even in the midst of all these things. That's why Solomon wrote these words He says, Church, trust in the Lord. And do that with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In our context today, we say trust in the Lord because you don't know better. You might think you know better, but you don't. And then if you'll do this, trust in the Lord, if you'll submit to him with all your ways, then he'll make your path straight. You say, oh, man, we've taken a wrong turn here. Is God all-knowing? That doesn't mean bad things don't happen. But there's still a plan. And we can still trust. And we can trust with greater hope than we've ever had. And we can look with greater expectancy knowing that the God who was faithful past that past grace, he's also got future grace. And it's ready to meet us later today. It's ready to meet us right now. It'll be ready to meet us with whatever we face this week. It's just ready and waiting on us. So we can trust our life, entrust our life, confide ourselves in a God who will make our paths straight. You know, I'm guilty of this. When I first read and studying for this message here, uh, well, for the series here, the first phrase that came to my mind was, I know better. And I'm so guilty of acting in ways like that sometimes. Like, you ever have to go back and apologize to God? God, I'm sorry. I just took off and made a decision. I didn't even think about you. I just thought this was the right thing to do. I thought this was how it would best work out. And maybe it worked out okay or maybe it didn't. But I lived as though I didn't need, I didn't need God. Like I had enough counsel within myself to make a better decision. So if you ever think you know better, I just want you to know you're not alone. Remember the fishermen? They thought they knew better. Fishermen tend to think they know better. Right? We're a strange breed in that way. But Jesus was teaching a crowd of people one day. They were pressing, up, pressing in on him so much. He said, hey Peter, can I get in your boat? Will you just set out a little bit? I still want to teach the crowd, but I'm going to end up standing in the water. Can I just get in your boat? Okay. So Peter and the guys about fishing all night, caught nothing. They were cleaning their nets, getting ready for the next night to go fishing. They would have went home, to to rest. Jesus finishes his teaching and then what's he say to Peter? He says, Peter, set out to the deep. Let me take you somewhere and let me take you there in a way that you can't get there on your own. Let's set out to the deep. The deep things belong to God, oh the depth of the riches and wisdom of God. And so Peter's gonna reply you remember what Peter replies? This is one of my favorite gospel passages. Lord, we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. Right? Who knows better, a fisherman or a carpenter, whether it's a good time to go fishing? Who would you place your bet on? So you take a vacation in Florida. Are you going to hire a carpenter to take you out on a boat to go catch fish? Or are you going to hire a fisherman? You're going to hire the fisherman. And so just for a second there, it sounds like Peter's going to say, I know better. We've been fishing all night. We caught nothing. We're cleaning our nets. My guys are tired. We need to get ready. We got to go fish the next night. This is our living Lord. You think we don't know? But then he says, but because you say so, I will. Luke 5, 5. And they set out to the deep where Jesus took him. The only way he could get there was through Christ. And they caught so many fish, they had to call for another boat. They caught so many fish that both those boats began to sink, right? That's a great fish story because it's true. We've got a lot of stories we tell that don't always measure up, but that's a true one. And I, I can't wait to hear Peter tell that story. Can you imagine just sitting around in heaven... If that's how it works, if God allows us to interact with some of the things that we've experienced here, he just seems to sit down. You know, he's got to tell, and they were big fish. I'm sure they were big fish. Don't you think they were big fish? They weren't no little scrawny fish like I catch. That's a lot of them. Sinking boats, right? We didn't even use lures. You guys needed bait and fishing poles. We just threw a net out and caught a boatload. And I just, I, want, I look forward to hearing stories like that. I don't know if it works that way or not, but if it does, that would be a good story to hear. That'd be a good story to tell for eternity. We like to tell stories, don't we? We tell stories over and over again. Maybe that is setting us up for eternity. Oh, here goes Peter again telling his fish story. <laughs> Peter thought he knew better for a moment, but really he didn't. A bunch of people who were waiting on the Messiah to come, they missed it because they thought they knew better. Right, If anybody on the planet should have recognized Jesus, it's the Pharisees. These are the ones who were supposedly loving the Lord their God with all their heart. These are the ones who had been trusted with the, the, the future Lamb of God. These are the ones that God was going to use to help the gospel spread. If anybody should have known, it's the Pharisees. And yet every step along the way they opposed Jesus because they felt... They knew better, he's a demon, he's drunk, right? he's a heretic, he's stirring up the crowds against us. Initially it was, how can we get some questions together to trick him, to make him say something so we can arrest him, they thought they knew better and every time he'd just turn it right around on them, ask him a question or expose their heart and they'd go away angry. And they got so angry that they plotted how to kill him. And they thought that in killing him that they had done the right thing. We knew better and so we put him down. The only problem was three days later, what? He didn't stay down. See, they thought they knew better. Sometimes my own heart can be like a Pharisee. Peter thought he knew better. I'll never deny you. If I have to die with you, I'll die with you, but I will never deny. You're wrong. You know, Peter is this disciple, the only one that we have record of, looking Jesus in the eye and saying, you're wrong. I know better. And yet as the rooster crows, Peter weeps bitter tears because he realized he didn't know better. God knows, and God knows best. Therefore, without hesitation, we can trust today. Everything that we have, all that we are, into the care of God, we can entrust today. I can rest there with confidence. He knows. So I don't have to pray to try to prod him along. Come on, God, if you just answer this way, I think it's really the right thing to do. What can really happen Then I can let the truth of an all-knowing God who doesn't need my counsel silence the opposition in my own heart so that I can just trust that whatever I have to deal with, my God knows about it, and he knows better than I do how to deal with it. And so we entrust all that we have and all that we are to the incomparable God. As we close here, I read the story from one commentator who compared our ability to know things to God's like that of a candle and the sun. If you were wanting to go on a trip, would you rather have a candle or the sun? Which brings greater illumination? The sun by far, right? What happens to the sun if you bring the candle close to it? anything happen to the sun? Nope. Does the sun get brighter? We have better understanding because the candle's there. What happens if you move that candle just a little bit closer to the sun? It just melts because the candle is nothing compared to the sun. See, sometimes as a candle we say, I know better. I got my little light like I can see things perfectly clear. What the sun says is, I know best. And so you can trust me. So Paul writes here and says, nobody has knowledge like God does. He's got all of it. No one has the ability to counsel God because he knows what's best. Always, every day. No one can add to anything that God has made known. And so maybe today my prayer, maybe your prayer just needs to be just a prayer of dependency. I don't understand. Maybe I'm heartbroken. I'm struggling. I'm afraid. I'm a worried. I'm worried. I need some clarity for a next step. I don't know what my role is anymore. Listen, regardless of your age, you have a role in the mission of God today. Regardless of how much we, maybe we can't do like we used to be able to do, you have as much a role and purpose today as you've ever had. And so maybe it's trust God that he knows better rather than us saying, well, I just can't do what I want, sir, and I can't, okay. Let's just entrust our lives to the one who knows best and trust that he'll lead us or guide us in the ways that further his work maybe today is just a prayer God I'm going to trust you rather than being your advisor and so rather than offering you my advice I'm just going to pray your will I'll pray my heart but more than anything you know best and so I trust your plan I trust your will